Yeah, this is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Amen. Thanks, John. All right. Well, let's get into it, friends. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. That's where we are going this morning. As we also have forgiven our debtors. In 2006, um, in a small town in Pennsylvania, uh, Nickelmon, Pennsylvania, a tragedy struck. And for those of you who uh, are old enough, you know exactly where this is going even before it, it goes there. Um, and there was a, a shooter, a man entered into a small one-room uh, Amish schoolhouse and held the schoolhouse captive um, and all the little children inside he, he tied them up and forced them to, to sit there, and there was a standoff with the police, and in, in the end, um, the man ends up um, killing or shooting 10 of these children, killing five of them, and then killing himself. Um, and as America Watch, this whole thing unfold, it was on the news. Every, every news uh, organization had a truck there, and it's all being broadcast live. And you remember the images, the pictures that we saw uh, on every news station, there, there was images and pictures of this, of this happening. And we looked in on this with, with absolute terror, like horror in, in our minds, in our hearts. And there's something in our stomachs. Like, how could this be? Like little children, like six, seven-year-old kids. How, how, who would do such a thing? But then almost immediately... Within 24 hours, the script flips. The story changes. And America is no longer staring in, wondering, how could this have taken place? How could such a tragedy, a tragedy unfold? Rather, we stand in awe of the response of the Amish people. The Amish parents and grandparents and community members who had lost their children are showing up at the people's homes, at the parents of the shooter's house. They're packing their mailbox with, with, with letters that say, I'm so sorry for your loss. They're bringing meals to his family, saying, I forgive your son. I forgive your son. I forgive him for what he did to my little boy, to my little girl. I forgive him for what he did to my child. I forgive you. I forgive him. For what he took from me. This unbelievable response. A few years later, some sociologists studied this act of forgiveness that these Amish had bestowed upon this man and his family, and how could this be? And they studied this, and they studied the culture, and they studied the community, and they came to the place where they realized that this level of forgiveness, like this, this amount of forgiveness, this culture of forgiveness, is not actually possible in the culture of America. It, it cannot exist. They said that Americans don't have what it takes to live the way the Amish lives when it comes to forgiveness. We are far too self-absorbed. We're far too concerned with our own happiness to ever actually be able to forgive at that level. 
Here's what they actually said. They said, most of us, most Americans, most of us have therefore been formed by a culture that nourishes revenge and mocks grace. In such a culture, forgiveness is seen as self-hating and revenge and anger are considered authentic. Forgiveness is self-hating. To forgive somebody is, is to hate yourself. It's to let them off the hook, to allow the, the unjust people to rule us and to lead us and to continue in their patterns of injustice. That's what forgiveness does. And we cannot stand it. We can't stand for it. We cannot allow it. If you think about all the movements of our day, everything that's popular right now in our culture are anti-forgiveness movements. Whether it's the Me Too movement or Black Lives Matter or cancel culture, name it, pick it, any of them. They're all anti-forgiveness movements. And I don't care what your opinion is of them. They're anti-forgiveness. They say the perpetrator must pay. They must, they, they must grovel. They must beg for forgiveness. And we will never give it. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what repercussions that they pay. It doesn't matter. They will never be forgiven. We will wipe them out of our culture. They will never have a voice again. They will never speak again. No one will ever hear them again. We will never forgive them. Because forgiveness is to hate yourself. Forgiveness is to be weak. But friends, it's not true. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is at the core of every relationship. It's at the core of every healthy culture. If you want a culture that flourishes, forgiveness must be at its core. If you want a community that flourishes, forgiveness must be at its core. We just got back from India, so i got to throw a Gandhi quote in here. Uh, Gandhi said this, he said, The weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is an attribute of the strong. The weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is an attribute of the strong. You see, so often we see forgiveness as weakness, or at least our culture does. But the truth is, we are simply too weak to forgive. We say it's weakness because we're the ones who are too weak to forgive. I pray that you never experience anything like those Amish parents experienced. I pray that you never have to de deal with that level of offense done to you. Some of you have had horrible things happen to you, but I pray it's never at that level. But here's the reality. Every single person in this room, every single person in this room has experienced offense, has experienced hurt, has experienced sorrow. Some people have hurt you. They've done things to you that have caused offense. Some of those things have been massive and huge. And here's the thing. You will experience more hurt you will experience more offense. The secret in life is not, how do I live pain-free? That's not possible. People are going to hurt you. They're going to offend you. They're going to bring pain to you and to your life. You cannot avoid that. It doesn't exist. The question is, how do we then respond? What do we do when this pain comes? The world does not have an answer for this. It's a culture of anti-forgiveness. We don't know what to do. 
We just live in our anger. We live in our bitterness. We live in our hatred. We live in our rage. Yet Jesus teaches us that we are dependent upon forgiveness. We're dependent on it. We need it in order to be right with God, and we need it in order to be right with each other. You cannot have a relationship with another human being if there is no forgiveness. Because the closer you are, the deeper that relationship is, the more you are going to be hurt by that person. And without forgiveness, the relationship cannot exist. It cannot exist. The same is true in a small group of friends, in a larger community like this one, in a city, in a nation. You cannot have a flourishing, healthy community without forgiveness. It is a requirement and right now when we look at the world, we see a world that does not understand this. And yet Jesus is very clear on how this works. And so this morning we're going to look at just those few words from the Lord's Prayer. But before we get into that, right, what I realized as I was preparing for this is like forgiveness is so big. Like there's so many angles you can come at forgiveness and there's so many different facets to it. There's no way in one sermon we can kind of unpack everything that the Bible says about forgiveness. Like forgiveness, forgiveness needs to be like a series that we do at some point in time. And so before we get into it, I want to kind of give this little caveat. If at some point during this sermon you say, yeah, but Josh, but what about this? Or you didn't talk about that? Or, or hey, have you ever thought about it this way? Listen, my door is open. Come shoot me an email, give me a phone call, stop in sometime. I would love to talk to you about it. The reality is, like, I'm probably gonna, I'm gonna leave some questions unanswered this morning because there's just not enough time to, to pack into one sermon everything that the Bible says on forgiveness. But I'm gonna do the best I can. I'm gonna kind of hit the biggest things and then we're gonna get into the Lord's Prayer. All right? First thing I want you to see is this um, Christians forgive because we have been given the power to forgive. When Christians are wounded or hurt or offended, they forgive. This is like one of the, the marks of a Christian is forgiveness, right? All the time people say, man, how do I know if I'm saved? Like, how do I know? Man, one of the marks of salvation is your ability to forgive, okay? This is a core fundamental. It's part of our DNA. It's who we are. We are forgivers. It's what we do, Right? There's a famous passage where Peter comes to Jesus and he asks him, how much do I have to forgive? Here's what he says in Matthew 18. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, there's different translations on that. Is it 77 or is Jesus saying 70 times 7, like 490? Like what, what is it? doesn't matter. Here's what's going on, right? In the day, in, in first century Israel, right, rabbis would sit around and they would debate these questions all the time. Like what if this or what if that, right? And so one of the questions is, I mean, how often, how many times do you need to forgive somebody? right? How many times before you say, nope, it's over, like you're done, right? How, how often do you do that? And right, kind of the, the kind of the perfect number, seven, right? That was what they decided. It was like, all right, seven times. So you can, you can offend me seven times, but a number eight, you better watch out, right? That's how, that was the culture of the day. And so Peter is posing this question to Rabbi Jesus, and Rabbi Jesus says, I don't say seven, not my way. That's not my way. Not my kingdom, not the people who follow after me. I say 
77. Or seven times 70, 490. Jesus isn't giving you a number, right? He's not saying, okay, get your Excel spreadsheet out and start tallying it, right? How many times have they offended you? That's not what he's going at. He's saying, in my kingdom, in my way, for people who want to follow me, there is no limit. Forgiveness is limitless. There's no number that there's some, sometime you're going to reach and suddenly all of a sudden it's like, all right, forget, you've, you've used up all your forgiveness. It does not exist for my followers. And there's no level of, of offense. It's not like, oh, here's this small offense. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. You can forgive that, right? We can move on from that. But there's like a larger offense, like your friend said something about you behind your back. Like, all right, we should probably forgive that. But then there's like major offenses, like absolute brutal, and we never forgive those. Like once you cross this line somewhere, Jesus says, there is no line. It doesn't exist. There is no end to forgiveness. Christians forgive. It's who we are. It's who we are. We're forgivers. Now, some of you are already ahead of me, and you're saying, oh, Josh, you have no idea. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know what they took from me. You don't know what they said behind my back. You, if I told you the details of the offense in my life, you would lose your lunch. Jesus isn't talking about that. But here's the thing. Jesus is 10 steps ahead of you. Before Peter can get another word in, Jesus tells a story. Here's the story he tells. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle the accounts of his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave the debt. And when the same servant went out, he, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And seized him and began choking him, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pled with him, Have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. His fellow servants saw what had taken place and were greatly distressed. And, when, and they went and reported it to the master, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servants, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should... And, sh and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you who do not forgive your brother from the heart. All right, so what's going on here? Jesus burst into this story. It's a ridiculous story if you know the details, okay? First, you have a king, and the king is owed a debt from one of his servants. He's settling his accounts. There's some things going on. He's like, I, I need to settle these accounts. And one servant owes him 10,000 talents, okay? A talent is a massive amount of currency, okay? It's the largest denominator of currency in the culture of the day, okay? And so uh, I'm not an expert in first century Currency, I'm not an expert in currency at all. But as I researched this, what I found is there's a kind of a discrepancy on how much 10,000 talents is worth in our day's 
culture, right? The lowest amount I found is $400 billion, okay? Minimum, right? That's what it is. Some say it's like in the trillions, okay? If you could multiply 10,000 talents into our culture today, minimum $400 billion, okay? But here's what's really going on. As I said, a talent is the largest denominator of currency. It's the largest kind you can, if you want to go to the bank, you want to pull out the largest bill you can get, talent. That's the largest one you can get. And 10,000 is the largest number in the Greek language. And so what Jesus is doing is like a, like a kid on the playground. He's like, I bet you 10 trillion, quadrillion, gazillion, million, that I can do this thing, right? He's throwing out this number that is the largest number that it can possibly be thrown out. That's what it is. He's saying, this is the most ridiculous debt you can imagine. It's not even realistic. No king has that much money, and no king would ever lend out that much money. It's not real. It's a, it's a fake story. It's meant to kind of make you go, ah, that's funny. And then the servant says, I'll repay, which is also a joke. You could live a million lifetimes, and you would never be able to repay this amount of money. It's, it's crazy. It's a crazy sum of money. And the king forgives the debt. He forgives it. And then the servant turns to another servant who owes him 10 denarii, tiny, small amount of money. A denarii has one day's wage. So for one day's wage, 10 days wages, he's choking him and beating him, saying, give me my money, throws him in prison, says, you will repay me or you will be locked up in prison. And the other servants see this, like, what the heck? The king calls him in, how dare you? How dare you? You see, the story is meant to like create this sense of injustice in the hearer. The hearer of the story is meant to say, this guy, what, how? What an idiot. Like you were forgiven this massive debt and you wouldn't let go of a few pennies? What is going on? Like, it's meant to like invoke in you anger and injustice, like a righteous anger in you. And then you're forced to ask the question, who's the king in the story? Who's the king? Who's the king? God's the king. And who is the servant that's been forgiven this unimaginable amount of debt, an infinite debt, and yet still holds grudges for the smallest of things? Yeah, it's me and you. That's who we are. You see, Christians are the people who have been forgiven the most. An infinite debt has been forgiven us. A debt that if we lived a million lifetimes, we could have never repaid it. We could have never repaid it. If you worked every day, all day, for a million lifetimes... It had never been paid off. And the king says to you, I'll pay it. You see, forgiveness is never free. Somebody pays it every time. Who, who paid the debt in the story? The king. The king had to eat $400 billion. He, he paid it, okay? Every single time there's forgiveness, there's a payment that's being made. The king pays the debt. God says, I'll pay yours. That death that you deserve for trampling my glory and for shattering my holiness, I'll pay it. I'll send my son 
who is perfectly holy and who delights in my glory, and he'll die in your place. The debt is always paid. It's always paid. Forgiveness has a cost, and we know that cost. We wrap our minds around that cost, and therefore Christians who have been forgiven this insurmountable debt, this infinite debt that has come at an infinite cost to our holy and beloved God, we become debt payers. It transforms us. We can no longer be people who hold grudges. We can no longer be people who hold other people's debts above them. We can no longer be people who repay evil for evil. No, we become debt payers. Every day, moment by moment, 70 times 7, we pay. We bear the cost. We choose to suffer for the sake of others. This is who we are. We are debt payers because our debt has been paid Christians forgive because we've been given the power to forgive. In his book, Life Together, Bonhoeffer says this. He says, forgiveness is the Christ-like suffering, which is the Christian's duty to bear. It's just what we do. There's no way around it. It's who we are. If you are in Christ, you bear this. We're debt payers. Forgiveness is what we do. It's our specialty, or at least it should be. For those of us who are actually in Jesus, who actually know what we've been forgiven, there's nothing more for us to hold on to. We absorb the cost. We take it. We absorb the pain. We absorb the sorrow. We absorb the gossip. We absorb the anger. We take it. And then Christ transforms it in us. We absorb it. And then Christ in us transforms it brings about his glory and our good as we do so. We must understand this, and if we are going to understand the Lord's prayer, Jesus is inviting us into the process of, of absorption and transformation here in the Lord's prayer. As he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I just want to point out two things on this, and then we'll be done. Two things. First is this. Those who are infinitely forgiven must daily seek forgiveness. Those who are infinitely forgiven, that's us, Christians. If you are here in this room, and you say, man, I have surrendered everything to Christ because he has paid my debt. Like, that's you. We are infinitely given, yet we must daily seek Forgiveness, forgive us our debts, is the daily prayer of the follower of Jesus. Before we're called to be forgivers, we're called to be forgiven. This is the reality. Our forgiveness empowers us to forgive. We are dependent on the forgiveness of God in order to be, have the power to forgive others. We must daily seek forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. Every time we go to God, we go as debtors. He has paid my debt on the cross, and every day I put more on that tab. Every day I put more on the tab. Every single day, every moment of every anger, every lustful glance, every inconsiderate act, all of it more on the tab that Jesus paid by his blood. Again and again and again. And so now some of you say, whoa, 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 whoa. Josh, I've heard you say, like on the cross, Jesus pays all of our sin, past, present, future. I've heard you say that. I've heard you say it again and again and again. Like, it's covered. Like, all of our sin's covered. Why then do we need to go daily and asking for forgiveness again? 
Why would we do that? This is actually not a hard question, if you think about it for a moment. Why would, why would somebody who's forgiven ask for forgiveness? I think that the, the answer is rooted in the first two words of this prayer. What are the first two words of the prayer? Our Father. Not our judge or our dictator, but our Father. I'm a father. I got two little boys. Um, and I have forgiven them 10,000 times. And I'll forgive them a million more. The reality is, is that my uh, oldest is nine, and it's only going to get worse from here. Okay? You, you, some of you are, by, judging by your laughter, you've raised some boys. Um, they're going to do the most horrible, moronic, dumb things that I, can, I can't even imagine, okay? And I know this because I did them, all right? That's, that's the reality of it. And I, they are going to bring, bring shame upon me uh, the way I brought shame upon my parents. They're going to bring an embarrassment into my life the way I brought embarrassment into the life of my parents. This is what they're going to do. They're going to call me in situations that they've gotten themselves into, and I am not going to know what to do with myself um, because this just, Lord help them, all right? This is the reality. But here's the, real, here's the deal. I've already settled it in my mind, in my heart. There's nothing that they're ever going to do that's going to make me be like, no, you're not. You've, you're, you're done. You're cut off. You're unforgiven. That doesn't exist for them. Because I love them. And there's nothing that they've ever done or will ever do that will be unforgiven. They might wrong people in their life that will never forgive them for what they've done. But it won't be me. It won't be me. But now imagine for a moment if they never asked for forgiveness. If they never admitted that they were wrong. If they hid every sin. If they hid every, every failure. Right? They put a hole in the wall the size of like an elephant. And they're like, I don't know how they got there. Right? Because you know it's coming. Right? That's going to happen. I put so many holes in the wall in my house. Right? Like, I don't know how I got there. I don't know what's, what's wrong with that. Right? Well, they, they just never admit it. Like one, one screaming their head off that their brother did this thing to them. And they're like, oh, I didn't do that. Right? And they just never told the truth. They hid every sin. They never once owned it. What would that do to our relationship? What would that do to the relationship between me and them? It would absolutely destroy it. It would destroy it. I could never trust them. I would, have, I would constantly be questioning them. I would always be looking around the corners trying to figure out what's going on. Like what's going on right? I, would never, I would never trust them. And so every day they come to me and they say, Dad, here's what I've done. And every day I say, you're forgiven. It's not okay. It's not right what you did. But it doesn't change the way I love you. And my love for them grows as they seek forgiveness from me. My love for them grows. Every time they come to me and say, man, Dad, I'm sorry. Here's what happened. Here's the truth, the fullness of truth. My love for them grows. Now, God will never love you any more than he does right now because he loves you perfectly. But our relationship with him is fostered. Intimacy grows as we seek forgiveness on a daily basis. I love how the psalmist puts it. David says in Psalm 139, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts 
See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting, right? Our prayer is hindered by our sin. And David said, I don't want it. I want want anything that is in me, anything that is in me that has brought offense, expose it. Bring it into the light. Find it that I might seek your mercy and your forgiveness. We're dependent on forgiveness of God every day as we seek intimacy with him. We may often wonder why so much power has gone out of the church in America. The reality is our prayer depends on our forgiveness. We live in this culture, as we talked about earlier, a culture that that says, man, forgiveness is weakness. Forgiveness is self-hate. It's not true. Forgiveness is necessary. If you want prayers that are effective and deep and meaningful, they must include Forgive me of my debts. Forgive me of the ways that I've wronged you today and the ways that I'll wrong you tomorrow. That transforms our prayers. It transforms our prayers. We are dependent on the forgiveness of God every day as we seek intimacy with him. If you want effective prayer, you must fight for intimacy that comes through confession and repentance, the seeking of forgiveness. The second thing I want you to see is this. Those who are infinitely forgiven must daily extend forgiveness. Yes, we daily seek it, but we also daily extend it. Those who are infinitely forgiven must daily extend forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. When we come to God, we must come ready to forgive those who have wronged us. This does not mean that we are no longer angry or hurt or grieving, right? Those Amish families did not show up at the shooter's parents' house the next day saying, it's all good, it's fine, I'm happy, I'm going to forget about it, I'm not worried about it. No, they came grieving and mourning with sorrow and anger and despair, and they said, I forgive your boy. All at the same time. In my house, we have a rule. When one of my kids is forced to apologize to the other kid, because they never do it willingly, right? I say, you need to apologize to your brother. The other one's not allowed to say, it's okay. It's not allowed in my house, because it's not okay. What your brother did to you is not okay. That's unjust. It's not right. It's not cool. You shouldn't have done it, and you shouldn't do it again. But you are allowed to say, I forgive you. There's a difference. Forgiveness is not injustice. Forgiveness does not mean that the perpetrator does not pay. It means that you forgive them. There's a difference in these things. Somebody may have lied to you in this horrible, 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 horrible way. And maybe they lied to you again and again and again and again and again. Forgiveness does not mean that you trust them. It just means that you forgive them for what they did. They might be the least trustworthy person in the world. You would be an idiot to say, forgive and move on, and let's, I'll trust you tomorrow. Here's, here's more trust. No, that's not how it works. Whoever said forgive and forget is an idiot, right? It's a farce. It's not how it works. That's not how it works. Forgiveness is not injustice. It's a choice of the heart. It's a choice that we make. It's not an emotion, but rather an action of choice. I choose to absorb the debt. That doesn't mean that we're going to be best friends, It means that I'm not going to seek vengeance. I'm not going to repay evil with evil. I'm not going to talk about you behind your back. I'm not going to harbor ill will against you. 
I'm going to release you from that. I choose to absorb the debt. I choose to absorb the pain. I will not seek vengeance in my mind, with my words, or with my hands. I forgive you. I love how Tim Keller, Tim Keller just wrote a book on forgiveness. Um, And in it, he says this. He says, forgiveness is granted often a good while before it is felt. Forgiveness is granted before it's felt. Not felt before it's granted. It is a promise to not extract the price of sin from the person you hurt. It's likely you've always thought, well, I have to feel it before I grant it. I have to start feeling less angry before I start to not hold them liable. If you want to feel it before you grant it, you will never grant it. You'll be in an anger prison. You'll be in an anger prison. You cannot, it's not, forgiveness isn't about how you feel. It's about what you choose to do. You can grant forgiveness without feeling happy, without feeling all of my sorrow is gone, all of my anger is gone. No, that's not, that's not it. We absorb it, and then Christ transforms it. Forgiveness is not an emotion, but rather an action of choice. I choose to absorb the debt. We're not coming to God happy, pretending like nothing has happened. We come and we lay our sorrows before him. We trust him with our pain and our anger, the full weight of the offense. But we come with forgiveness in our hearts nonetheless. Only when we have chosen forgiveness can he set us free from the pain. I love how Lewis B. Smitty says it. He says this. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that prisoner is you. If we wait until we are over it to release it, we will never be over it, and we will be enslaved to it. That's how it works. We must forgive our debts and forgive our debtors. If we don't absorb the pain, sorrow, and bitterness, and hurt through forgiveness, we will extend it. This is a reality of forgiveness. If you choose not to forgive, you say, I'm too angry, I'm too hurt, I will never forgive you, that will leak out into your life. 90%, over 90% of abusers, people who abuse others, whether that be sexual abuse or physical abuse or emotional abuse, over 90% were abused themselves. That man who walked into that schoolhouse and shot those kids did so because he was harboring a grudge of something that happened to him when he was a little kid, when he was a little boy. He never let it go. He never let it go. And it ate away and ate away and ate away because he never absorbed it. He never forgave. And you think it's only this person. This is the person I hate. This is the person who's wronged me. This is the person that I want to repay evil for evil. This is the person that I'm going to one day, I'm going to find a way to get back at them. This is the person I'm going to talk about behind their back and I'm going to trash them until the day they die. It's just that person. It's between me and them, but it's not true. That that level, that relationship is affecting the way you parent your children. It's affecting the way that you engage with your spouse. It's affecting the way that you engage with other friends and how you view other people. 
Your past pains are oozing out into all of the areas of your life. You can't stop it. Ronald Rollhauser put it this way. He said, any pain or tension that we do not transform, I would say that Christ does not transform in us, will be transmitted. In the face of jealousy, anger, bitterness, hatred, we must be like water purifiers, holding the poisons and the toxins inside of us and giving back just the pure water. Rather than being like an electrical cord, that simply passes the energy that flows through them. We hold it in us. I will not repay evil for evil. I will not talk about you behind your back. I will not stir up gossip. I will not try to get even. I will hold the pain. I'll absorb the anger. And I'll allow Christ to do his work in that. I've seen people again and again and again and again deal with the lack of forgiveness. I've seen people, I, I knew a person, they're not in this room, they're no longer a part of Flourishing Grace, they've long gone. A person who harbored this unbelievable anger towards someone else. And they would talk about it all the time. Any, any opportunity they would get, they would talk about what this person did to them, what this person did to them, what this person did to them. And it wasn't that big of a deal. It was just something that was said in passing, and they took great offense to this. That person had, like, no idea. They had no idea that they'd offended them. They had no idea that this event had even happened. But this person was so, just couldn't let it go. And they kept talking about this person behind their back again and again and again and again and again. Just couldn't let it go. And it affected how everyone around them saw them, not the other person. Your lack of forgiveness is deeply affecting you in ways that you have no idea. We must become a people. If we are going to be a healthy community, if we're going to have healthy relationships with God, we must become a people who see forgiveness as, as an absolute necessity in our life. Daily going to him and saying, I need you to forgive me today as I have forgiven these other people in our life. Some of you in this room, this comes easy. It's just, it's just water off your back. It's no big deal. People do things to you, and you're just like, well, I'll move on with life. You can easily turn it off. You can easily choose to forgive. Others of you are professional grudge holders. It's your spiritual gift. You don't want it to be, but it is. You know, it's, you know it is. And you're like, man, I wish I wasn't this way. This is really, really hard for you. And so what do you need to do this week? I, I want to challenge you to identify your hurt. Identify the pain. Identify the anger. Who is it? What's their name? What do they do? What do they take? Maybe they don't even know it. Or maybe they for sure know it. Who is it? And I want you to go to somebody else with that. Even before you leave this room. Maybe somebody in your path group. Maybe somebody you trust in this room. Maybe, it's not, maybe they're not in this room. Maybe you need to pull out your phone and you need to text them and say, I need to talk to you about this person. I want, you to, I want you to put it out there. And I want you to say, man, I need accountability when it comes to forgiving this person because I've been trying for years and I can't do it. I can't do it. I, I, I don't have the ability, the strength to do it. I want you to spend some time gazing into the good news, gazing into the debt that has been paid for you. 
and allow that to transform your heart towards that person. And I want you to go to them. Because forgiveness is not something that we do. It's not injustice. We don't just say, that's fine. Let's move on. It's not fine. What they did is not okay. What they did is wrong. And I want you to go to them. I want you to make sure that they know, hey, this, this hurt. This is not okay. It's not right. But I forgive you. Can you do that? Do you have the power in the gospel to do that? God does not say your sin's okay. He does not say your sin is right. He doesn't say, it's fine, keep doing it. No, he says, this is the worst thing ever. But I forgive you. Can we do the same? Can the image of Jesus be bared in us? And can we pray as we're commanded to pray? Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Let me pray for you guys. Father, we come before you. And I pray that right now you would do a work in our heart. That for those in the room who have been harboring bitterness and harboring a grudge and harboring ill will towards other people. And they've allowed it to seep out. They've talked about them behind their back. They've done things in order to make their lives more painful. Constantly thinking about how they could get back at them and what they would do if they could get away with it. Would you free them from that? Would you free them from their prison of anger? Allow us to be people who forgive, knowing that forgiveness is not an emotion that we feel. It's an act that we choose to do. And let us see how you have forgiven us. Our sin brings you sorrow and pain and anger. And yet you have chosen to cover us in the blood of your Son. And for that we give you all the praise and all the glory. We ask that you would continue to utilize that gift to empower us to forgive as you have forgiven us. Praise these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, flourishing grace. Why don't you guys go ahead and stand? We're going to sing one last song together this morning.